The Coin Week podcast is brought to you by PCGS. Join PCGS at the Long Beach Expo at booth 401 to take advantage of an exclusive new label and to take in a beautiful set registry display of U.S. patterns. On Friday, you'll have the chance to meet experts Jeff Howard and the guest of this episode, Steve Feltner. The Expo takes place at the Long Beach Convention Center from September 5 to September 7. For more information, visit PCGS.com. Hi, Steve. Thanks for joining us on the Coin Week podcast. Thank you for the invitation. I'm happy to be here. Are you excited about your new role as Numismatic Education Outreach Director at PCGS? Is that the uh, official title? It's a little bit of a mouthful, but yeah, it's uh, Director of Numismatic Education and Outreach. So what does a company like PCGS have planned for this position? Is it an outreach program that you see uh, tying uh, in with CoinFAX or the Rare Coin Market Report? Or are there other areas that you want to focus your efforts? Yeah, it, I think it's uh, it's designed to be a little bit more engaging um, on the collector side. So basically, um, one of the things that we were seeing um, recently with Brett coming on as the new president of PCGS, he was noticing that there wasn't really anybody in a role like this. And so it's actually a brand new role. Um, I have been in it since early June and still trying to figure out, you know, what direction we want to take things. Um, one of the main things that I was seeing was, you know, a lack of numismatic articles and stuff like that going out with attention to, you know, cool coins that are coming through the grading room. Um, we have some of the best you know, people in the grading room as far as numismatic minds, um, really, really awesome guys, and they see all of these cool coins, but they're not really talked about. They're they're brought through for grading, and then they go out. And so part of the thing that we wanted to do was to have a way to bridge the gap between the grading room and then the people out there that want to know about some of the coins that we have coming through. You know, it's interesting. I've had the opportunity on a few occasions to go inside the grading rooms. And uh, one of the things that struck me the first time I got to watch the process in its entirety is that coins would come into the grader at first base, you know, and he begins or she begins to look at them and uh, type in the scores. And then the entire order gets passed over to the grader at second base. And so it goes. And, and the whole process is methodical. It's unemotional for the most part. Save for when something curious has found the box, maybe a, a super nice coin or a coin with issues, a, a very deceptive coin. Uh, but otherwise, the process can be described as, you know, you look at the coin, you flip it, you look at it again, you flip it, and that process over and over again for hours at a time. And for me, something happens, you know, along the way during this process. The coins go from a state of being, you know, just like any other coin to being a complete product something that gets housed in a uniform shell, that gets identification added to it, grade, attribution, all of this. And now instead of being, oh, that's a nice mint state coin, it becomes an MS-65 or 6 or whatever it is. And now at this point, once it's in that holder, it's ready to sell. It's ready to be added to your collection. 
And I know as coin collectors, uh, we want to say the focus is entirely on the coins. But this process adds an element of magic that I think doesn't exist when coins are in the raw. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And uh, one thing to note, I was actually, uh, before I took on this role, um, I was actually a professional grader for PCGS. And uh, I did that from around 2012 to 2015. It was about three years. And the process is actually really amazing, um, like you were talking about, from, from the point of the coin coming in raw in a submission. And, you know, it, it was one of those things where, I would get an order and, you know, say that I was first base on it. There are obviously some coins that, you know, you don't really get excited about, but then the amount of coins that come through, you know, PCGS, there's always going to be that one coin in the order or several coins in the order or sometimes even a full order where you're just amazed at the quality. Or, you know, one of my favorite things was when I would sit down to an order and look at it and see something I'd never seen before and it would spark an interest. You know, um, I actually ended up putting together a couple of years ago um, a collection of Condor tokens with the hangman motif. Um, are you familiar with that specific token? Oh, yeah. No, it's a very cool type of token. In fact, I think it's uh if you wanted, wanted to build a set of those, it's a little harder to complete in high grade than most people realize. You don't see them very often uh, in nice condition at coin shows. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're absolutely amazing. And I would have never have known about them had I not graded a package and there were some Condor tokens in there and there was a hangman. And I went, what on earth is this? This is, this is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And it sparked an interest, and ultimately I started putting together a small collection of them. And it's it's a really interesting way to be able to see a very wide variety of coins being able to sit in the grading room looking at other people's treasures. One of the interesting things I learned uh, getting into the process of grading, uh, and I've done a couple grading challenge videos for Coin Week. Uh, I did one uh, with PCGS at Anaheim a few years ago, and the funny thing is, I sat there and, you know, you see the coins in the holder and you try to evaluate them. You know, it's under bad light, but I don't want to make excuses, you know. Uh, I haven't seen thousands of examples of some of these types of coins. So when there were coins I was familiar with, I was pretty strong in my opinion that I was, I was getting it right. But I saw coins I really didn't handle. That's where the problem started. And so I'm sitting there doing the best that I can. And when I get to my results... Uh, I think I got like five spot on and then another, I don't know, maybe it was like seven of them or within a point. And usually in that situation I was under. And so I'm thinking, you know, as a, as a complete amateur grader that, oh, well, you know, that's essentially 12 out of 20, you know, given the circumstances, I'm like, hey, I mean, I did a good enough job. Uh, but, you know, later I talked to a senior grader and I'm telling him about what I did. And he tells me that undergrading a coin is just as bad as overgrading it. Because if you undergrade a coin, you stop that coin from reaching its true potential. And I can see where he's coming from because I was basing the grade I was giving to the coins off of my own specific taste and whether I'd want the coin in my collection at whatever the grade I was assigning it. So if I looked strong, but I didn't like it, I'd maybe hit it down a point. If it looked good and had great eye appeal, I'd move it up a tick. So it was really me kind of deciding that 
what would I pay for the coin? Does it fit in what I like? And I'm thinking as a professional grader, there's this internal voice that maybe this collector bias is something that you have to unlearn if you're going to maintain a consistent standard and give each coin the grade it actually deserves. So, and having said that, you know, is this something that you had to deal with? And did you have a sense of that nervousness, I guess, when coins came into you that you hadn't yet developed much experience with uh, when you started out as a grader? Or do professional graders have like these lizard brains that remove all emotion from the process and they just go at it? Oh my God, no, absolutely not. There, when when I very first started, um, I was nervous all the time. You know, my my first several months, it was, you know, I I hope I'm doing a good job, and you know, I I hope that they're happy with my production, and I was getting really good feedback, um, you know, from some of the senior graders and the director of graders grading specifically. Um, but they're always there's always that series that you're not necessarily good at. Um, or that, you know, it's going to take you a little bit of time to, to get used to. One of the most common ones, um, as I'm also a uh, grading instructor for uh, Summer Seminar, and I've been teaching grading for about eight years um, at Summer Seminar, and one of the common coins that people just don't see enough of to understand how to grade them are two-and-a-half and five-dollar Indians. You know, it's it's an in-cuse design, and, you know, the wear pattern's a little bit differently, and not a lot of people collect gold um, that are in the class. And so people tend to be really, really good at Morgan Dollars, Franklin halves, stuff like that. But when you start getting into the series that you don't have a lot of experience with, yeah, it's it's a little bit tough. And oddly enough, one of the hardest series for me to kind of get a handle of, uh, believe it or not, were two-cent pieces. Um, I hadn't really had a lot of experience with, you know, two cent pieces in particular with, with copper coins. And so it took, it took a decent amount of time. And in respect to, you know, you talking about, you know, looking at other people's coins and when you were grading being off just a little bit and having that, you know, quote unquote, rob the collector of the true grade. Um, it reminds me of kind of a funny story when, uh, when I was very first started uh, at PCGS, um, I was taking coins to the director of grading at the time and showing him a lot of coins just because I wanted to make sure that my line was, you know, in line with the company standard. And he noticed that I was bringing over a lot of coins that kind of had what I would call like C-grade toning, you know, so... Yeah, it, it has some color, it has some toning, but it's not really exciting. It's it's not that A plus that you're just like, wow, how on earth does this exist? It was, you know, kind of modeled a little bit spotty. And I would take it over and he would tell me his grade. And I think I must wear my emotions on my sleeve or on my face or whatever, whatever you want to call it. But he could tell that I wasn't happy with his grade, that, you know, I thought it was a little bit high. And so this continued for several days, and, and one day, I, I can't remember exactly what it was. I think it was a Franklin half um, that kind of had some speckled toning, and I put it down on, on his train. He looks at it, and he goes, I would grade this uh, a 65 full bell lines, and I must have made a face, and he looked at me, and he goes, Steve, what were you going to call it? And I said, well, I, you know, I guess I would have been a four, and he looks at me, and he says, you know what, I, I think I know what your issue is. You you don't like the color, right? 
And I said, no, I don't like the color. And he goes, if you saw this in a holder, would you buy this coin? And I said, no, I, I wouldn't buy that coin. I would pass on it because it's, you know, it doesn't look good to me. And he goes, you don't have to like every coin you grade. You just need to put a number on it. And I remember thinking about that and going, okay, that, that really opened my eyes where, no, I'm not going to like all of these coins that I see. You know, some people have different preferences. My job was to grade the coin accurately and appropriately for the collector and for the market. You know, that's a very good point. And again, you know, I'll hazard that this is this is more of a guess, more so than actual insight. But I think that there's a huge change that happens in Outlook when a numismatist goes from being an amateur to being a professional. Um, a collector will look at his coins one way and a trader will look at them differently. And it's interesting that a collector will spend more time looking at a coin than a grader ever will in the grading room. But a collector usually doesn't see the things that a grader sees or even understand what to look for in a coin sometimes. This only comes with repetition and the kind of knowledge that comes from seeing patterns, form, and coins after focusing on this aspect of numismatics. And I think, you know, a, a typical collector, if you collect uh, five Indians or if you collect 20 libs or whatever, you know, some of these coins are so pricey and some of the dates are so scarce that you're not going to have the ability to see hundreds of them. You may see a couple, a few. You make your decision what to buy based on price and availability. But a grader gets to see the entire spectrum. Exactly. And, uh, you know, and, and, and I think you just brought up a really, really excellent point. You know, every single grade has a sliding scale. You know, there, if, if we're talking 65s, there are 65.1s you know, 65.0s all the way up to 65.6s. And then, you know, if you're getting higher than that, you're probably going to want to plus it. But it's still a 65, you know, whether it's a plus or not, it's still that numerical 65 grade. And so I can I can line up a bunch of 65s and we can go through and say, you know, to me, this is a 65.3, this is a 65.5, this is a 65.7. That's much nicer than the others but they're still 65s. And if I was to take that, you know, that set that I actually put a decimal grade on them and gave them to another grader, say a senior grader, guess what? His decimals are going to be a little bit different than mine because he's seeing things. He appreciates different things. Um, everybody has, you know, their, their perfect, their, their eye appeal for specific grades and what they like to see. Um, and one thing that I, I tell a lot of my students is if you give me, say, 100 Morgan Silver Dollars, and, and they're all nice, unky coins anywhere from, you know, 61s to 67s, and you have me grade all of those raw, you give those coins back to me in a week and in a different order and have me regrade those, I'm going to have a couple slight differences. You know, not all of my grades are going to match up. I'm I'm hoping that I'm going to be super, super consistent with my own grading. But depending on what I see at different times, I might slide my scale just a little bit. That's that's human nature. That's that's how we work. You know, it's it's definitely not an infallible thing. But the point that we want to have is having multiple eyes on the same coin that way we get that consensus grade. You know, this is this is what we feel as three, four, however many graders that that coin should land. You know, this this is the condition of that coin. And, you know, every everybody has a different way of looking at things. How effective are uh, submission tricks? 
and influencing the mood of a team of graders when they're looking at an order. Uh, I'll give you two types of submissions that might have come to you, and you can you can tell me. Uh, so the first one's potluck. It's like 20 coins selected willy-nilly with no obvious order or consideration for quality. Um, the other is handpicked and uh, curated. Uh, nice coins put together in logical groups, uh, maybe in ascending quality, uh, with maybe one iffy coin thrown in, thrown in, with maybe one iffy coin thrown in near the end. And then the other PQ coins are, are going along with it. Do you think that this latter strategy might influence the way a grader sees the coins in the order as opposed to the first box of randoms? You know, that that is a topic that I have discussed at length with, you know, tons of different dealers, collectors, and even myself. You know, I, I was a, a dealer for quite a while. Um, and so, you know, putting together PCGS or NGC submissions, you know, yeah, I, I would try and put a little bit of psychology into it. Um, with that being said, when you're in the grading room and you're looking at each individual coin, it's very, very rare that you allow other coins to influence your opinion of the next coin. So if I have a, you know, let's just use Morgan Dollars as, as our frame of reference, if I have a set of 1881 S's, so somebody found, you know, a nice original, uh, nice original roll, there are lots of times where somebody will take, you know, they'll step it up. And so it'll be 63 and then they'll go into the fours and into the fives and into the sixes. And as a grader, you can kind of see what they're trying to do there. And, you know, they have the nicest coins at the very end. So they're hoping that you're looking at it going, oh, okay. You know, we're, we're gonna step these up and, and we're gonna make this really, really nice so the very end coins are, are gonna get the top grade possible. Um, I also see that, you know, going the opposite direction where people will put the nicest coins in the very front and trail it down. To me as a grader, it never really affected me much. Um, However, one thing that I did notice, if I was ever doing, you know, a an express or a walkthrough order, uh, ADO dollars are, are very, very scarce in gem. So 65s are quite valuable. And I would see quite often somebody putting together a set, and so your 63s, 4s, 4s, and then 5, 5, 5, 6, and then they'd throw an ADO dollar in like a nice 4 or 4 plus, hoping that we'll give it the five. And it had always made me chuckle every once in a while. I'm like, ah, okay, I, I see what you're doing there. That that was that was a nice try. Um but you have to grade the individual coin, you know, in instead of grading the the order, so to speak. I also heard graders refer to some coins as old friends, a way of uh describing coins that keep popping up in the grading line. How often at a PCGS uh, do you see coins that uh, you might refer to as an old friend? Yeah, I mean, if, if you're grading on the economy and regular line, you really don't see a lot of old friends. Um, just because, you know, those are, are some of the lower tier submission um, tiers. And usually that type of material is new stuff that walked into a coin shop or, you know, somebody went to a coin show and it's the, you know, $500 coin that they bought in a 65 and it jumps up to $800 in 66 and so they cracked it out and, you know, they're trying to get that upgrade. That's the type of stuff that usually goes into economy and regular. And you really don't notice 
you know, those coins coming in often or, you know, they're not so high grade or so high value that the grader makes a mental note of, oh, okay, I've seen that coin five, six, seven times this year sort of thing. However, usually when you start getting into the express walkthroughs and rarities, yeah, you see old friends quite often. Um, and one of the things that was always nice about the old friends was every time they come in, even though we know we've seen them, even though we have photographs or, or whatever, we, we know what they went out the last time, we still try and give it a fresh look. And there have been plenty of times where, you know, I've been sitting next to a couple of the graders and they're looking at an old friend, you know, say that it was in a two-plus holder, and obviously the person's trying to get it to a three, and we're looking at it going, you know, we've two-plus this. Can we get to three? Let's have a conversation. It's not one of those situations where, you know, we look at it and we go, oh, it's gone two-plus X amount of times. We know it's two-plus. Just shoot it out two-plus. If somebody's spending the money, if somebody is wanting to get a fair look at a coin, we're going to give them that respect and that fair look. Um, but, yeah, old friends are a very consistent thing, and old friends get made um, on occasion. And, you know, there's some old friends where it's a two-plus, it's never going three. Like, it, that, that is its coffin, so to speak, and, you know, they can send it in as many times as they want, but it's just it's not at the three level. I imagine on the sad side of the old friend story that there's an economic reason, obviously, for people to believe in a coin, uh, to invest in a coin and, and hope they can make something better out of it. But there's also a, a motivation that exists uh, on the part of some to uh, manipulate the coin, to try to like figure out what's wrong with it and remedy that fault, uh, to try to deceive uh, the collector and to get the grading services to put it in a higher holder when it probably doesn't deserve to be there. In fact, I think that, you know, this is a practice that's been going on for forever and it, and it ruins coins and, uh, and people are willing to ruin coins uh, in the hopes that they can achieve this goal for uh, financial reasons. Uh, so when you get an old friend uh, come in that's been messed with, uh, that's got to bum you guys out. Unfortunately, yes. Um, there, there's been multiple occasions where that has happened. You know, a collector or a dealer or whomever might get a hold of a coin and go, okay, it's two plus this many times. I think it's a three. They're not calling it that. Well, maybe if I try and hide, you know, these hairlines in the right field, maybe if I try and bump the color just a little bit, they'll like it. And unfortunately, that does happen. Um, that brings up a really good point, though, and, and something that I would love the listeners of this podcast to hear is, as a grader, if I ever got a coin that was just super fresh, you know, it, it obviously came from a long time put away collection, it hasn't been monkeyed with, it hasn't been messed up, it, it has creamy luster or whatever it is, I'm going to try and give it the benefit of the doubt. I want to cap that coin out because it's amazing as it sits. And so if I'm on the 5 plus 6 line with it, I'm going to call it 6 because it's so nice, it's so fresh. I don't want to call it a 5 plus and have somebody ruin it, have somebody wreck that coin 
to try and get it into a six and then look at it later going, man, this was so great. It it was right there on that line. I wish it wouldn't have been messed with. I, I would rather give great coins, great, fresh, wonderful numismatic pieces the benefit of the doubt and then give the ones that have been messed with a little bit or, you know, just don't have that right look, you know, don't give them all the credit. But when when something is super great, yeah, let's 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 bump that up. Let's let's give it let's give it what it deserves rather than, you know, making somebody tempted to to mess around with it. Well, that brings up a, a good point. Um I've always looked at coin grading as a professional opinion and that professional opinion does not and should not take the collector out of the picture. Um, you know, collectors have a responsibility to make decisions to buy coins that are right for their goals. And, uh, if you're a collector and you, uh, fall down on this responsibility, you have no one to blame but yourself. If you end up with coins that aren't so great because you failed to look at them objectively, um, it's not the grading service's responsibility to make sure you buy the best coin in the grade. Um, the grading service, however, is providing a valuable service to you. They're valuing the coin and determining whether it's authentic. Um, that's hugely important. They're evaluating the quality of the piece and determining the numerical grade that it deserves based on years of experience. Um, they've seen more coins than any dealer ever will, uh, uh see in a lifetime. Uh, so let's say that they deem a coin to be an MS 66. Uh, well, again, MS 66, it's shorthand. It's shorthand for I've deemed the coin to be authentic. I've evaluated the surfaces of luster and wear. I've evaluated the coin for signs of cleaning and manipulation. I've evaluated the coin for attractive toning or originality. I've looked at the coin for rim dings and grade limiting defects. So when you finally get to handle the coin in the holder, you know that it has been evaluated for these types of things and that the grade is a summation of many factors. But the final piece of the equation is always up to the collector. Is it a nice coin? Is it the right coin for the collection that I'm building? Is it the right coin for the budget I'm prepared to spend to build that collection? And, and once you as a collector have the ability to determine which coins are nice for the grade and which coins are so-so, then you'll have what you need to form your own excellent informed opinion about coins. And in that instance, the grade that the service puts on the insert is information that will back you up in the marketplace. Uh, I believe that collectors drive demand. Collectors drive prices. And sophisticated collectors who are themselves the key consumers are the final arbiters of grade. Another thing that's happened over the course of the past 30 years is that uh, collectors and professional dealers' insights in a certain series of coins have changed. Cynics might call this uh, great inflation, and, and, and no doubt the system itself will sometimes lend itself to coins upgrading due to numerous submissions. But we look at coins like Mercury Dimes, for example, uh, differently today than we did 30 years ago. And I often joke with people that PCGS, Mercury Dimes, and Rattlers were born with gold CAC stickers <laughs> because you see so many of them. I've, I've, I've seen a lot of that too, yeah. But that's not because all of a sudden we want to have tons of MS-65 dimes put in MS-67 holders so that people can make money. It's because in 1986, Mercury Dimes were common enough 
and recent enough coins of, in production that an in-depth study of their strike quality, luster quality, surface quality hadn't been fully explored and mainstreamed. Uh, we know much more about the way these coins come now than we did 30 years ago, and I think that the differences in grading reflect that. Yep, and and going back to you know what we were talking about before with me in the very beginning not being good at two cent pieces, guess what? I'm on par with two cent pieces now, and the reason is I graded thousands and thousands and thousands of them, and then I've also dealed you know, hundreds of them afterwards when when I owned my own coin shop. And so with with that in mind, the best way to get really, really good pinpoint accuracy with a particular series is to study that series. It's to educate yourself. It's to, you know, go to a coin show and walk into, you know, one of the auction houses auctions and sit down and go through boxes of them. And that's one of the things that I would do. I would go in at, you know, whether it was a Heritage cell or a Stax Bauer cell or a Legend cell, what have you, and I would look through coins. And the more coins I looked at, the more I would sharpen my line with particular series. And that was always a really, really great way for me to be able to do that. Um, and the grading services are no different. You know, like you said, in 1986, how many classic head two and a halfs had they seen in Mint State? Probably not a whole lot. And so a lot of those were being called a little bit lower grade. Now we've seen more, not that there's a whole ton of classic head two and a halfs in Mint State, but now that we've seen a decent sample size and we understand, oh, okay, this is what the luster should look like. This is what the strike should look like. This is, you know, we have photographs of the top pieces. This is what a Mint State 67 looks like. This is what a Mint State 65. So we can kind of take all of that information that we've gleaned over 30 years and give a really, really great educated opinion on the condition of this one particular coin because of that sample size. And in 1986, 7, 8, 9, that sample size didn't exist yet. And so... Yeah, some people like to call it gradeflation, whatever it might be. I like to say the grading services are understanding better what that coin should be and why it's not better than it is because we've seen we've seen examples that were finer than this. Another thing that I think's happened, and I say this from experience, uh, I got my first PCGS coin in the mid-1990s. And at the time, PCGS would body bag coins that weren't up to its standards. Uh, there were coins that were being body bagged then that today might get graded. Uh, not all of them, and probably not most of them. Uh, but this is because the market wanted more coins and holders and not just the perfect coins for the grades. Uh, the grading services didn't lessen their standards to take these coins in, I don't think. But what we saw was the services try to judge even coins with slight problems in a fair way based on the market's expectations for what should pass at certain grades. And, and you know, a lot of that is when, when people send their coins to us, we're trying to give it the benefit of the, the, benefit of the doubt. Um, we're trying to look at each individual coin and say, okay, on a scale of 1 to 70, what numerical grade can I put on this? What What... What does this coin deserve 
to be in. And we're not trying to kill coins. You know, we're not trying to, you know, body bag everything and, oh, you know, we, we called that cleaned and, you know, it, it just had a slight wipe and we know that we're just going to get another grading fee out of it. That's truly not the mentality. Um, it's, can I put this in a holder? Is this market acceptable? Is this something that somebody would be proud to put in their collection? And if the answer is no, you know, the cleaning is too bad or the environmental damage or, you know, somebody put something right over the cheek to try and hide some lines so it's an altered surface, we can't grade that. It's too far gone. However, if we can look at it and go, okay, the surfaces are nice, it has a decent look, the luster's good, it has a slight white, but it's not bothering me that bad, maybe I'll drop it a point. So if I was looking at it going, to me, this is a 64 quality coin, but with the wipe, I'm going to call it a 63. I, I think that that's market acceptable. Somebody would be happy with that, you know, 63 with a swat slight wipe in their collection that looks like a 64. I, I, I would do that. Now, my personal line, and I'm not saying that this is the line of PCGS. This is, you know, how Steve Feltner grades coins. If I'm looking at something, say, environmental damage, and I have to drop it more than one point, so if I'm going to net grade it two points, to me, that looks stupid in the holder. It, it's, it's just not going to face up right. So if I've got a gem-looking quality coin, so it looks 65, and I'm going to drop it down to 63 because of environmental damage, that just doesn't look right. I'm going to call it environmental damage, uncirculated details. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Uh, basically, what you're saying is that net grading doesn't work in a professional environment. But if you have a coin that is not strong enough to make a real case for itself as a coin uh, in a numerical grade, that it shouldn't get one. Uh, of course, you know, we can say it's genuine. Uh, we can say it has certain types of details. But, uh, but on the other hand, if a coin has some light evidence of collector handling, not necessarily mishandling in a gross, negligent way, but slight collector handling, uh, then maybe it gets the benefit of the doubt. And I think this is especially important for certain types of coins, which this type of uh, state of preservation is common. Exactly. Yep. Or, you know, with, with my example of knocking it more than two grades, if, if the coin is an AU example, so say that we would call it AU50, it, it has the details of an AU50, but there's a little bit of pitting, I'm not going to knock it all the way down to an XF40. You know, I might be able to squeak it into a 45, but I'm not going to drop it two full points because it just doesn't look right. That's, it, it has better details than that. What are the first educational initiatives that you plan to take on at PCGS? Uh, we're, we're actually doing a couple of uh, educational initiatives um, internally, um, you know, helping with some of the junior graders. Uh, I'm actually going to be potentially starting um, an intern program. Uh, it's something that we've been talking about for years and years, uh, wanting to have, you know, some younger people, some of the people that you're talking about, you know, that are tech savvy, that are really interested in coins, you know, don't necessarily know what direction they want to go with in their career, having them come through PCGS as part of an intern program and seeing our operations, seeing how we do things, seeing if, you know, if they're a good fit as far as being a part of the grading team or operations or whatever it might be. And so that's one of the things that I'm going to be doing. Um, like I mentioned before, literally my career 
um, in numismatics, and I'm 33 years old. My career in numismatics is very much ANA-centric as far as the programs that the ANA gave me. Um, I started going to summer seminar when I was 13 years old. Um, I think in the last, what are we, 20 years, geez. Um, in the last 20 years that I've been going to summer seminar and, you know, the last eight I've been an instructor, I've maybe missed three or four. Um, every mentor that I've had, that, that I've talked to in coins, bounced ideas off of everything, have come out of meeting them at summer seminar. And all of the camaraderie that comes out of that is, is really major. So I, I owe a major portion of my successes in my career to the ANA and its programs. And so one of the things that I would love to do as the education director of PCGS is extend that a little bit further and possibly have a little bit more, you know, some more grading seminars at, at some of the major shows, maybe have different presentations that are put on. I know the ANA does a great job at, like, the World's Fair of Money and stuff. I mean, they had tons of different speakers, and the, the rooms are always full of different people talking about seated liberty coinage or, you know, crime prevention, whatever it might be. I would like to extend that a little bit more and make sure that the people who are wanting to glean some education, some knowledge from a company like PCGS where you walk through these halls and you're bumping up against some people who have a ton of knowledge in different series and have been studying different things for, you know, their entire career. I would love to have them become available to be able to speak about these things or have me, you know, glean some information from them and then help other people in the market, um, you know, with, with some of the things that, that we understand in here. Um, again, articles are going to be a major thing. Um, I have a couple of the different graders that I have contacted. We have an easing that goes out every couple of weeks. We have the uh, Rare Coin Market Report, the RCMR, uh, that happens quarterly. And those are wonderful avenues to get information out about the coins that are coming through the grading room. Um, I'm constantly getting emails now from a couple of the graders saying, hey, this is on my desk right now. Come take a look. And I'll go over and it's like, oh, my God, what, what is that? I've, I've never seen one of these before. And they have a story to tell. I, I have found that the coins that impress me the most are generally one of two things, super, super high grade or, you know, really wicked color or eye appeal or something like that, or something with a story. If you can sit down, I, I, can, I can sit down with my mom, who doesn't really have any interest in coins at all. You know, I, I was the only collector in my family. I, I caught the bug early on. I started collecting when I was eight. But I can sit down with her and hand her over a Washington funeral medal. And she can look at it, but she doesn't know what she's looking at. But then once I tell a story, once I talk about why it was made, you know, who was wearing this? You know, somebody in Boston at Washington's funeral procession could have been wearing this around their neck, you know, with tears rolling down their cheeks because their hero just passed. You know, when you can connect a numismatic object or a coin to a certain part of history, it comes alive. 
And so one of the things that I really, really want to do here at PCGS is use that information and use those coins that are coming through and make that history come alive to people. Get people interested in coin collecting. Get people interested about series that they never knew existed or something that they've never really enjoyed before. Um, I caught the bug on three cent nickels a couple years back because I started looking through them and I realized that there are absolute rarities that can be purchased at a relative value. You know, and to me, $20 libs and, you know, high-end Morgan dollars, they were out of my league. They, you know, they're too highly collectible or, you know, there's, there's too much interest. And so if you can get people to understand the nuances of different series and actual rarity versus cost or, you know, get them into world coins, there are amazing coins coming out of the woodwork from South America that are absolutely fascinating. You know, and if we can write articles, if we can get that information out and show people that these things exist and they're not just for the 1%, we're not going to be promoting the, you know, million-dollar coins like like we used to. We're not going to be promoting the things that only the uber-rich can get involved in. My goal is talking to the graders and saying, hey, if you see a cool $50 item or a $300 item or anything like that that can be rel with relative ease purchased by a collector on the open market that has a story, let's tell the story. Oh, I think you're right. And, you know, uh, McDonald's sells more beef than Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. And I think if we keep narrow casting the hobby to just the most affluent collectors, then we're wasting our time. So I agree. And looking at the demographics, uh, I think the coin hobby is very diverse at the moment as far as age range. I think the quality of the material that is uh, coming to the market and the way coins are collected and written about, that there's been no better time in the history of the hobby to get involved. And uh, I look forward to seeing uh, what you guys are up to in the next few years as you take on your role and reach out to the community to give them even more reasons to be jazzed about coins. I, I'm completely with you. And, you know, I, I hear a lot of, you know, the the older generation talking about, you know, oh, the, the coin, the coin hobby, the industry, everything seems like it's dying. Well, no, it's it's not at all. It's evolving. There there's always going to be that evolution. And having talked to multiple collectors in multiple generations, you know, there was always a time when somebody thought that the hobby was going under, you know, in, in the eighties when, you know, when silver went through the roof and then it plummeted and collecting kind of faded out a little bit and stuff like that, people were concerned. Well, look at what happened in the nineties. It was very robust and you're always going to have little ebbs and flows, but we're always going to evolve. And part of the evolution these days are platforms like Facebook, Instagram, um, you know, those different types of areas. The amount of young kids um, that I have met that on, via Instagram is incredible. And their depth of knowledge and their passion and their thirst for that knowledge is, is amazing. Uh, there's probably five or six different YNs uh, that I help mentor. 
and it seems like every week they're asking me better and better and more intelligent questions, and they're really focusing on different areas, and they're excited about it. The passion's there. It's just opening up that information to them and being willing to share it. You know, I, I like I said, I owe a lot of my success to the people that knew way more than I did as a kid and all the way through, you know, my growing up years and into my 20s and 30s, I always would sit and listen to what they had to say and just soak it up. You know, I, I was sponging all of the information that they were giving me and the kids today are still doing that. You know, if if I'm talking to them and they're listening and they're actually paying attention and, you know, implementing some of the the things that I'm telling them and you know, learning, I will spend as much time as they have. I'm I'm an open book. I want to be a resource. And if if somebody has a question, a comment, a concern, or they want to know about a specific thing, I'm gonna educate. That's that's how I've always been because the people who did that for me made the impact. And so I've always been of the mentality, I want to give back. I, I want to, you know, I want to pay back all of the great things that the people were able to do to me, do for me. Thanks, Steve. Good luck. Oh, this has been my pleasure. Absolutely. This is, uh, I, I hope that there are plenty of people out there listening to this and uh, learning something. And, you know, if, if they're listening and they'd like to reach out to me, I'm always open to have a conversation. So I'm, I'm making myself available. If you like this episode of the Coin Week podcast, please tell all your friends, share it with them, and download every episode for free on the iTunes store or by streaming them on our YouTube channel. For Coin Week, I'm the editor Charles Morgan. Until next time, happy collecting.